Hey, what's up, people? This is episode 56 of the Option Podcast. This episode is brought to you by NY Varsity Sports. That's me. That's me. The NYV. Watching me. Watching you. Episode 56, people. I got Wendy Jones, and the episode starts right now. What's good, people? This is episode 56 of the Option Podcast. You ask and I deliver because sometimes I have some first-time guests and sometimes I have some revolving guests because we can't get enough of them. And on my end, I've got to give the people, give the people what they want. Wendy Jones, what is good? Oh, I've already been out on the beach today. Saw you this morning. I love that we're creatures of habit, so I know where to find you in the mornings. I know, <laughs> sun worshiper, sun worshiper. So, um, great to be here, though. I always love talking to you. Yep. So, so what I'm going to do today is I'm going to avoid hearing the, uh, enjoying hearing the sound of my own voice. Um, you know, we had, we had this conversation about sun worshiping and like the realtor showing you the house certain hours of the day where it's not freezing at night or when the sun's not beaming down on you. But that it, but all that glitter is not gold is for another another podcast. <laughs> this podcast, I want to talk about your journal. For those of you listening at home, uh, and for those of you that um, haven't seen previous episodes of, uh, of with Wendy Jones, Wendy Jones is of the founder creator of the Optimist Journal. Um, Give everyone a brief synopsis on what that is, and we I, and I want to get into your your most recent blog. Well, um, I started the Optimist Journal a couple of years ago. Um, you know, it's been a, a work in progress, and it kind of it ebbs and flows. But my point is to always spread optimism because I do see my, my perspective in the world as one that always sees um, silver linings and the struggles that um, inevitably cross all of our paths. So I am a storyteller that likes to weave the stories of my own life um, as, uh, you know, we build our own self-awareness and I think that people learn through stories. And so I try to share mine and an attempt to help people um, be brave enough to share their own stories. And as we do that, we work through, you know, so many things that cross our path. And so, you know, I, I use it as a storytelling platform, as a way to spread um, my my perspective in the world. And um, that's just one that I want to bring, you know, calm and connection to people as we have these discussions, whether it's sports, mindfulness, wellness, public policy. There, This is why I love your podcast, Jason, because you touched on all the same stuff that, you know, really, I think makes a difference in the world. Yeah, we're def and we're definitely um we might get in a little bit of how I do have how some of the feedback I've been getting on my podcast and certain things that you know I mean I'm, I do it for the people I got to listen to the people and there's some some there's always some there's to me there's always one more than one way to skin a cat and there's um if I do it too too much someone else's way then the product is tainted and uh, me who promises to be real and honest or whatever kind of takes a curveball, you know, you don't strike out, but 
you start missing a curveball sooner or later you're gonna you're gonna strike out so if mm-hmm. i can't do this and be me then 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 there's no there's no point the, the whole purpose is to provoke thought constantly raise the question not for me to spoon feed you answers not for you to have received opinions god knows i speak for both of us where we uh, as far as received opinions are concerned <laughs> they they can get that <laughs> they can get that any <laughs> they don't have to come here for that you know you you want to be real you want you want to hear the truth sometimes it's painful sometimes it's just honest and sometimes in your case it's life-saving um mm-hmm. this this is where you want to be you you um um and i promise i'm gonna let this girl talk and, and somewhere in the middle i'll talk about how she she she's dramatically helped my my perspective but i'd like to start present tense your most recent blog okay um and i'd like to start with the first paragraph um paraphrasing but reading a little bit all right uh, 2020 has brought a lot of pain to the surface we have so much to wrestle with on a daily basis and in the nas- and national dialogue feels fractured, uh, contentious, and highly activated. This week alone, I've been moved to tears by the um, by the emotion that comes every year with what 9/11 has has to offer. Of course, um, let's um, let's dissect this a little bit. Talk to me a little bit about your sentiment about 9/11 and every year um, what it means to you now it comes around. Well, you know, um, I mean, even just that statement gives me chills because I think, you know, first and foremost, we're all Americans. And I don't, I don't think in our lifetime, there's been a more unifying day in the midst of the greatest tragedy that we've ever seen. Um, you know, no American will ever forget where they were standing that day when they realized the attack that we were under. And, um, I I'm one of I made a post on 9/11 as so many people did just to honor you know the lives that were lost and where we were that day, but my post centered on the way that we felt on 9/12 because we were a unified America and it didn't feel like we were a unified America because we were scared. It felt like, oh no, you're not going to get the best of us. And we I don't know if you've seen the um, the play Come From Away. Um, they turned it into, you know, that, that, uh, the, yeah. the Broadway, it, it's, I fantastic. saw it. Oh, Kelly, um, so, Kelly took me. Sorry. Go ahead. No, it's so great. Right. And that feeling that, that, that we had that day that, that brought us all together. Um, I want to feel that again. And right now there's just more fear in the air, you know, and you think about how scary that day was versus what we're facing like little by little every day now, but there's a feeling of being pulled apart, you know, and I feel like our, so, so much of our perspective comes from the pain that we experience in life and it comes from the joy too, but you know, the way that we process our pain is so important and we, you know, we need to come together and, and realize like everybody has a different pain point. Right. So 9-11 was a day that we all felt the same pain and we all came together. And but now, you know, we have so many issues that are tugging at our heart. And I kind of went on, you know, thinking about 9-11 and then going on to, you know, the, the racial tensions that we're feeling, the wildfire and the environmental debate. And there are just so many things that are tugging at our hearts. But how can we come together and see that we're all shaped by the same forces, but we're going to have different perspectives? And I want to come back to feeling that the way we felt on 9-12 and how it wasn't fractured. And 
we could there was a, there was a greater purpose of of being a unified front you know and i it, it's hard to feel that today and i want to feel that and i do feel it one on one when you talk with people you get you know you have those conversations jason like you and i have when we run into each other on the street and you you make those connections one by one but it feels like when we get to the the world of social media and you know when we're taking in that morning news it it feels very one-sided or like we are afraid to say that, you know, there could be a little bit of truth in, in both sides of the story because we don't always have to be right. You know, we need to be here to learn and like, and take in the other side of the story. Like I'm, I'm very, very careful about the news I do take in. I want that dialogue from maybe the opposing opinion, which I don't think, I, I think you have to actively seek that out these days. Because, you know, when you watch how social media will lead us, it will lead us down the rabbit hole of people who believe the same things that we do. And you really have to make a, a, an attempt to go the other direction and take in that other side so that maybe you can learn something and not be threatened by it. Um, I think it's the threat that self, the threat itself that makes people feel uncomfortable. I mm -hmm. had a metaphor um, comparison and um, that I've only talked to people in private, but I'd like to use it now. 9-11 was lightning in a bottle. 9-11 was getting struck by lightning. Mm -hmm. um, what's been happening pretty much this entire, just use 2020 because otherwise the sample size would be too big and we can't dissect it. And, and I think the year 2020 is already too big. 9-11 um, was getting struck by lightning. Um, 2020 is death of a thousand cuts. Yeah. So, great, so great if you're struck by lightning and for those that missed and for those that rally around each other, because you realize it, that could have been you and, and the nine 11 was, um, and not an attack on people and people need to be very careful. It wasn't about our Judeo Christian way of life. It was, it was on our way of life. And it's very important that people know that people that worked in the world trade center were, were muslim people that worked in the world trade center were, were jewish people that worked in the world trade center were, were christians were orthodox born again whatever jews for jesus people that worked in the world trade center are atheists i mean they're not even in this gangster shit <laughs> you know this, this 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 religious stuff um port authority police were also uh, all of the above firefighters were also all of the above i mean predominantly irish so you, you're going to assume catholic if it's irish because that's how stereotypes work all of the above um port authority um nypd was was all of the above so people have to understand united meant meant united against some uh a group of people that were trying to tear down our way of life it was mm -hmm. george bush was the only i mean the 912 you want to talk about 912 and unity uh all, it made it all the way up to the office he it was the highest presidential approval rating <laughs> i gotta go back guys but as far as stats is concerned he's he's got he's got to be it had to be the best the highest in, in 30 years you know mm. democrat or republican uh because of the speech and the, the level of importance which whether you no matter who you voted for you have to know that that came from a real and a real and honest place nobody no matter what your policies are nobody no president wants 9-11 on their watch <laughs> okay nobody wants that so um 9-12 was very very important but and i'm comparing this to 2029 what happens after that is is the test of men Wendy is the test of true test of men and, and, and women 9 11 
there was a big argument in the newspaper. I'm from, from New York. A big argument in the newspaper, they wanted to build a mosque three blocks away from the World Trade Center. And everybody's like, oh, that's so insensitive. Oh, that's so divisive. And that's so this, that's so that. And for the first time in my life, I kept my opinion to myself because I just kept hearing all of this, whatever, this this, this, this bigoted rhetoric. And they're, they're like, okay, Jason, you're awfully quiet. Go ahead, you know. And I'm like, I think it's a great idea. And they're just like, oh, my God, <laughs> this guy lost his mind. I said, I think it's a great idea. I said, if you want to show the world that you cannot beat us, if you want to show the world that you cannot defeat us, if you want to show the world that we are united as one true front, that that you're using Muslim terrorists, terrorists um, as a fear for us to fear Muslims everywhere, to show you that we win and you lose, build a mosque. <laughs> build a mosque. This is who we are. And no one understood that. And even now, this is this is decades later. They still they Wendy. They'll still disagree with me. They just don't. They don't get it. They don't get it. I'm, I'm, and this is there's a united front, like you said, that comes from an attack that was indiscriminate of your race <laughs> and your and whether you're a woman or whether you have a, an optimist journal or a podcast or or you are a Muslim or black guy, you know, or, or short white guy or fat or skinny. Um, and that was that's the difference, I think, between 9-11 and, and everything that's been happening. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you hit on the I think I said this in my in my blog. Um, as long as people that was 9-11 was an, an attack on physical and emotional safety. Right. And so, you know, once you get outside of, of those things, people have the ability to believe different believe differently and and share a perspective that might it might not be yours but you can develop some compassion for where someone might be coming from but when you take away someone's physical or emotional safety that's where you start to get those opinions like oh we couldn't possibly have a mosque near you know near the world trade center site when really if you look at the fabric of america we have to be built on continual improvement i mean we do have we we don't there's no perfect track record here but we're so diverse we're so different and we have to find a way to keep perfecting that diversity mm -hmm. you know and keep seeing each other as human before we see each other as these you know segmented areas of society whether it's you know yeah um, socioeconomic was, uh, or political or racial or you know woman man all of these things that we try to divide ourselves by and not see like the humanity that is behind every single one of our stories yeah and i like the journal because you did you did a huge job of making a balloon emphasis on the positiveness because it's very very easy to just let negatives it's in our it's in our human nature to let negativity seep into our head wendy you can do you can play a volleyball game and get 19 kills right and then you could hit you can hit one ball where your hand follows through on the net and almost takes down the net system net violation <laughs> it is in our minds to only remember the, the hitting error <laughs> You know Absolutely. what I'm saying? 19 for 20. I, I mean, I mean, I'm not being yeah, realistic no, here, but 19 for 20 bias. is an awesome number. Yeah. <laughs> it's a real thing. The negativity bias is a real thing. No, and yeah. the reason why I like your journal in general is because you don't do, 
you you acknowledge that that negative is there but you acknowledge that there's a scale to these things and people need to pay attention to the big the big the big scheme of things because you believe that more unites us than divides us and as long as you're willing to believe that and as long as some people are willing to at least try that you're going to find more negative than uh, positive than negative you're going to find ways to be like hey you know this is a small instance and uh, maybe there's some things we agree and disagree on but it shouldn't shut down everything else that we can agree and work together on beautiful yeah, thing about absolutely. the firefighters the comparison about the firefighters with the with the wildfires going on right now and yeah. um yeah the um the incredible bravery of firefighters doing real work to save lives and structures shows that there are real heroes in the world but then we turn to face racial tensions in our country that although I will never feel the pain at first hand, I want to be a part of the solution that moves us towards, uh, moves us forward to a place that America has never been. And I'm sure that in my heart we can go. Um, well, yeah. you know, I, you definitely, you want to keep seeing the progression in that, in that discussion. Um, you don't want it to be, I remember sitting here like, you know, right after in, in the first, the, the riots that hit this summer and going, don't let this be a couple of days that people feel like they're going to hunker down and survive. And this is all going to go on in the streets. And then, you know, a few weeks later, we're just going to go back to, to, you know, life as we knew it. And to have like, you know, the racial tension erupt and then go back down what it needs to be a continual discussion. And it's feeling more like, everyday Americans are making it a daily discussion. And if we can keep moving forward and from my perspective, you know, as a white woman, it's my turn to sit back and listen if we want to move this forward. Now I'll do things in my daily life. I mean, I have friends of all different races. I have, I have an 18 year old son. I, the, the first thing I think of is, if, if I, if my 18 year old son were black, I would have a lot different worries when he's out at one o'clock in the morning versus what I worry about when my 18 year old son is out at one o'clock in the morning, yeah. you know, and just acknowledging yeah. that your, that your reality is different than somebody else's allows you to just sit back, sit down, calm and listen to the, the perspective that, like I say, I will never know firsthand what that feels like, but we have to feel safe enough to sit back and let other people talk. Yeah. Right. I don't have, to me, I'm not in the driver's seat on that discussion, but except to just teach my kids and teach and, and, and act myself to just treat everybody with the ultimate decency and human respect that everyone deserves. Very well said. You're not in the driver's seat, but yeah. um, you're at least allowing yourself to, the, the, to, to be a passenger. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and um, for everyone listening, Wendy's basically talking about what the emphasis on what white privilege really is. There's a um, through our, our 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 media, both all the way to the left and all the way to the right. There are got common denominator guidelines that are set that people believe in to be true, and sometimes are not. Um, there are a lot of people, and for everyone listening, this, take this in and agree or disagree. White privilege to them is an insult because it's suggesting that they didn't work they didn't work hard to get what they got and and the misconception uh, or the misdef uh, the missed definition of what they think white privilege is is connected to hard work 
you know, and when someone takes exception that you have, oh, you have a privilege, it's, it's, it's in someone's nature to say, hey, screw you. What do you mean I didn't work hard? You know, I've worked for every freaking penny I got, you know, and, and I think if they think that's what white privilege means, the course is going to be blowback. And what you just said really defines the common denominator. There's, there's, there's what's accepted as true and there's what's real. There, there are things that are facts, but then there's things that are real. And it's crazy because think, everyone thinks facts are real. No, facts are not real if they're not logically connected. If you accept something as a definition and you're going on that fact, then it's not real. <laughs> so um, very, very, very good emphasis on what white, white privilege, um, what everyone's really talking about here. Yeah. And to me, what, what, you know, what it comes down to so often, like between, you know, human, human connection, um, what is real is like, is the empathy that we feel for somebody else's position rather than thinking of ourselves first. And if we're able to, you know, have some empathy for where someone else is coming, whether your subject is, is racism. And that's why I go on my blog to say, you know, my, my, my life has been shaped by other points of pain and also other joys, but, um, you know, I can I can talk about, you know, autism or feeling ostracized because, you know, I have a son that's on the autism spectrum and what that feels like to have, you know, when someone treats you or you worse when you see your, your, your child treated unfairly or, you know, someone's mean or combative and um, but I, that's a, in my life, it's a one, it's a one-off. It's not a generation after generation after generation. And I know what it feels like to be ostracized on a one-off. So if you think about what that does psychologically to an entire culture that hasn't been, that hasn't felt safe for generations, that to me is where, you know, my empathetic heart like kicks in huge because the one-off is painful. Mm -hmm. So what do you do when it's been fact when you factor it in generation after generation? Yeah, that's going to have a huge impact on culture and the way yeah. that that you know that that society or the way that that culture has has come up because you can't leave people feeling unsafe for too long before you're going to see the side effects of the pain that they feel. Yeah, um, something else. Um giving a, a whole bunch of teases on your blog, on your most recent <laughs> blog. Um, is it possible that there is both need for better forest management and that global warming ex exists and contributions to the increased fire risk? Um, people um, live in these false dichotomies where, where it's either one or the other. And sometimes in a debate, one of the Ten Commandments is thou shalt not, um, um, what is it, thou shalt not, limit the argument to only two choices when there's more than two choices mm -hmm. right in this case what i just said it could be both it could be both and some case some cases outside of what we just talked about it could be neither so um and it says can you be utterly outraged and this is important for everyone listening and i'm, I'm not talking about me this is her blog so <laughs> bear with me can you can you be utterly outraged and sickened by racism and police brutality and still support honorable law enforcement can you eat vegan? This is my favorite. Can you eat vegan while your neighbor looks for something to barbecue and still find connection around the dinner table? 
Can you believe that there are ways to support the immune-compromised community in the face of global pandemic and still embrace the idea of individual freedom, deep health, and people's need to provide for their families and commit to their work? Or at the very least, can you understand that someone has a right and reason to see an issue from a different lens than your own without stomping out their humanity? And we have to get rid of false dichotomies. We were, because we're, we're, look, we're here to pose the question, but posing the question and answering these questions, at some point, viable solutions come, right? We just, you just posed four questions and one, all of it is under the general blanking of getting rid of Dove, of saying you only have two choices here. You're either with me or against me. You're, you're either this or that. And that's not always true. That's, um, yeah. we're knocking out common denominators today. We're knocking out, today is our mission. We're knocking out common denominators that are accepted as, as um, I guess, fact or truth. And this is not, this is a common denominator we have to knock out. You can. Yeah. Wendy, I, I'm going to give you the floor, but I want to say this one thing. When has having a problem with police misconduct automatically mean you're anti-police? Are we 12? Floor is yours. I mean, I think it goes back to the principle that you said. I, I, I truly do believe, you know, there, there, there are more good guys than bad guys out there, and I, I believe that in in the police br- brutality debate, I believe that in society at large, um, and in these instances, you know, there's so many that. I mean, you can look at what just happened in Compton the other night, and it scares me to think that that's the state of society these days. That, like, you know, you can have off- officers are getting ambushed too. Well, that that officer is, you know, someone's husband or someone's father or someone's mother. I mean, the the risk that those people take walking out the door every day, you know, that there are bad things that go out there, and that it is their job to protect. So, you know, while there have absolutely been the instances that we have been outraged by are they're sickening there's nothing that makes it okay and that we absolutely 100 percent, i believe have a problem with race and violence against the african-american community and like not one not one of those instances is tolerable but neither is the thing, neither is the ambush that went on in Compton the other night. And this is where I do get, I don't want to say nervous, but for lack of a better word, nervous about what we, what we take in in the media and the lack of that story had what, what happened in Compton the other night, if that had gone on, um, if, if you reverse the roles and that was, um, you know, I, police attacking and, 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 and a black man dying, Someone that's unarmed. which again, no, either way, not okay. But the, the, the place that that story against those police officers took in the news, you had to look for that story. You know, that was not front page, front and center news in the LA times. It was a little column, a smaller, a, a smaller article towards the bottom of the page. And 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 that's the kind of news that should be at the top of the page because we're talking about real news here. We're talking about real journalism. Anything, here's a video, anything that you know that can help us find this person, that should have been the headline. We interrupt every single show. We're looking for this person. That shouldn't have been page six. Yeah, and wrong is wrong. 
you know, I mean, I don't want to see, I don't want to see, you know, racial bias or political bias, you know, framing these stories. And if there's a, I, I watched a documentary the other night, it's, I don't mean to segue, but it's called um, The Social Dilemma on uh, on YouTube. Mm-hmm. I mean, I on Netflix. And it it's frightening because it goes through, and I'm not one to get like scared about society as a whole. Like I say, I always believe that we're coming back and we're coming back stronger. But this concept of the way that news is being delivered to us to polarize our society, the way that we can go down the rabbit hole, the way that, you know, liberal news is fed one way and conservative news is fed the other and false news. There's so much, you know, fake news out there and who's giving it. And we all have a platform to talk. So who's talking? Do we check our sources? Like what's the difference between what we're getting from Facebook and, you know, what we get in a, in a, the hard news and the New York times and an LA times is there, you know, all of those stories we can take in a lot and there's just a lot out there that is making us not see We're only seeing our own point of view. We're being fed one way. You know, I can Google something down here in LA. I can Google the exact same thing and I'm going to get a different response based on being where I am versus if I went home to Fresno and I Googled it there because they are watching to see what is, what is the mentality? What is, what is the belief system around you? And they're feeding you that news. And I want to know, I want to know what the other side is. I know what I think. I always want to hear the other side of the story. And when I have these conversations, whether it's about masks or, you know, racial tensions or, or, environmental policy i think if you have a short conversation with me you won't know where i land where i stand on that issue because i'm going to sit back and listen first and so if you get me into a longer policy debate you'll find out what i think but i always want to sit back and listen and learn something before i say this is what i think but at the same time and you were really good to say this to me the other day jason is you know you don't let yourself get gaslit into silence. And I think for a long time, like when I took this break from politics, because I grew up in a very political family, um, I took this break, like it was a cleanse. But then I realized like if, you know, if, if the informed people with good hearts aren't speaking up, then who's winning the battle, right? So I have a right to my opinion, just as much as you have a right to yours. And I applaud people who use intelligent voice to speak their mind, regardless of what their position is, you know, because we, we, we absolutely, it is the fundamental, that, that is what is so fundamental about being an American, that and actually going to vote. Like I, that's, you know, I do think there are a lot of people out there that are talking today that I hope they're registered. And again, I don't care what you think, but show up at the ballot box. That's what I was raised on. Mm -hmm. So, and if you don't show up, then you're just creating noise. Yeah. You know, Jesse Ventura, if you, if you don't vote, don't bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, As far as people not thinking their vote counts, I mean, there are, we're not talking about presidential elections here. We're talking about winning 
um, battles on a smaller scale. Your city council person, your town mayor, your sitting senators, state senators, federal uh, con- uh, congress people, because real on uh, real change, and this is important, and this this is close to fact, as my opinion is going to be, real change has never really happened. That affects us, everyday people, has never really happened on a presidential level. It just doesn't. In your lifetime, you're not going to have a president who has a policy that affects you directly. There, there, there might be a said way that leads to other things where where, where years down the line, okay, I, I, I get that. But only one president has really done something that affects me, okay? I mean, they're going to do th- plenty of things that affect the wealthy. They're going to do plenty of things that may or may not help people that have like no money. But um, the people who are the working poor, the people who are the working class, the people who are the middle class, this large percentage of people in between, it doesn't, they haven't changed your bottom line. <laughs> local, local, local government is where uh, change has come. So, so for the people voting for president, if you're just saddened by what 2020 has to offer, and if you're like, I'm not going to vote, don't, then fine, don't vote for president, but don't not vote. Don't not vote. I understand people. The question is, you know, Biden, who's going into November on a dementia drumstick, um, is he still going to be better than what we have now? That's the question. That's, that's, that's me being real. I'm being real. You got this guy who, who could be a year and a half from knocking us back into the Middle Ages, and you have a uh, you have another guy that that I think a month from now is not even going to know he's running or who he's running against. Okay, so um, um, I mean I'm being negative about both of them, even though there are positive things about both of them too. Which we have, I mean, depending on what side of the alley you are, you'd really have to look for. But um, I I want to say something that's gonna give you the floor because we're knocking out common denominators and and common denominator beliefs here's the problem we have we're talking about police brutality we're talking about um african americans getting shot in the back unarmed and this and that one of the biggest um peeves i have right now is in almost every single case the people who automatically side with the police because they're Again, the false dichotomy is you're either with the police all the way or you're with the black man all the way. And, and it's so weird that people are, are all those people in the middle are either, like you said, gaslit in the silence, which is the majority of America. Right. And then the, these people that are, are just fishing for more souls to get rid of the middle. <laughs> all right. So biggest thing, I, a problem I have is they spend time examining the history of the person who got shot. Oh, well, he was. You know, he has a conviction for domestic abuse. Or, oh, he has this. And I'm like, did, you know, did he get shot beating his wife? <laughs> no, did that happen like five years ago? And, you know, do you know the case? Did she punch him in the face five times? Did he punch her back once and go to jail? So, I mean, and is the penalty for those things death? Selling Lucy cigarettes. We call it New York. We call them Lucy's. I don't know if you know what a Lucy is. A Lucy is someone, listen, a Lucy this is poor people stuff. I you can't you smoke you like to smoke, but you can't afford the pack. So instead of spending all this money on the pack, the gas sells you fifty cents for a cigarette. Those are Lucy's for people okay. that can't afford packs. That's what a Lucy's are. So um, education. I would like and bear with me on this. Um, my mother is African American, and I posted this, and I'm going to post this later. My mom's African American, brutalized by the police, arrested for not pr- producing ID as a passenger. Um, what's her history? Single mom, put herself through college, put herself through law school, works, works at, worked at Paul Weiss for 35 years. My uncle, 
was um, in an interrogation room for 23 hours for the police to try to coerce a confession for a crime he didn't commit. Mm -hmm. um, what's his history? 25 plus years in the service and a retired master sergeant um, with two war campaigns under his whatever. My grandmother got arrested in Astoria, Queens for planting vegetable tomato, tomato vegetables or tomatoes in a, a tomato garden in the ghetto and in the Astoria projects. What's her history? Um, an upstanding member of the community that generated the attention of, of many uh, well-known politicians. When she died, three sitting senators, a council, uh, three council people and, and a sitting congressperson went to her funeral. I mean, that's how big she was. My uncle, another uncle, was shot in the head by the police, okay, in, in, a, in a confusion. He was being robbed, and then he, he got the gun, and when the police came, they shot him. What's his past history? He doesn't have one. He was 16 years old when he got shot in the head. Now, I was nine years old, so when he got shot in the head. Now, for everyone listening, this is I'm not some white privileged guy who's like, oh, I have a white friend whose father, this happened to them. I have a white friend of a friend of a friend. I am giving you four examples of direct kinship of people who were brutalized, if not murdered by the police, whose past history is not only um, not bad, but, but commendable to a point where you want to be, I mean, me and my mom, we don't talk, but trust me, I want to be my mom, <laughs> okay? Uh, 25 years in the service, honorable service, I want to be my uncle. My, my grandma, who constantly goes to the the, 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 the the campaign offices and did you, you know, what's going on with the, 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 what's going on with the rentals? What's going on with the housing, you know, affordable housing? Calling these senators every day, being a pain in the ass. These are people you want to be. So I really... And the floor is yours because I wanted to set it up, set up a sedway of knocking out common denominators. Yeah. I really think we should spend less time about examining the past of the victim because you're suggesting that oh, a cop knows a murderer when they see one, or someone worth shooting when they see one for 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 non-murder murder crimes. Only George yeah. Floyd. In all of those cases, only George Floyd is, is the only time we've spent time examining the the criminal record of the cop. Oh, and well, 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 18 complaints. And this guy still had an office. Uh, uh, 18 complaints yeah. of misconduct and still had a job. So, well, and, and, you know, to me, that's just, a, it, it's, it's that knee-jerk reaction of, of people wanting to cover for their own, right? Instead of looking at what is right and wrong. Like, we don't, we shouldn't be covering for a certain segment of society. Like, we shouldn't just be protecting people who are like us. So whether that's the police union protecting a bad cop or whether that's, you know, me saying, you know, my kid would never do that. So don't ever call him out because like, you don't ever say not my kid. You don't ever say not that guy. You, you have to look at, you know, the society as a whole, you cannot only protect your own. You have to protect your fellow man. And I don't care what they look like you know but um when you were uh where were where did you go with there that was so, so much basically yeah, it was just common denominator so about when you, when you when i hear those stories of i mean the, the people in your family like that is what i'm talking about when i say what are you going to do with your pain you know when you what are you going to do if you the examples of the people in your family that you just gave those are people who had definitely had massive pain points in their life but what did they do they got stronger and they did the right thing 
because they had they had to face that pain and they made the right choice. And when we don't face our pain, when we don't tell our story, when we get buried under the shame of, you know, one bad action, I mean, we've all made stupid choices in our lives, you know? I mean, you do not get to define a life by one bad choice. And there are, you know, there are consequences, you know, to our bad choices. There are, you know, you might, whether it's you're going to serve some time or you're going to, you know, lose a friendship or lose a relationship or lose a marriage or lose a, I mean, there are consequences to actions, but when, you know, going back to the, the police brutality, I have, I know stories in my own life where if the person who was involved in the scuffle outside the bar was black versus white, that story would end up completely differently. Like Jason, you've been on, you've been on the pier at her in Hermosa at one o'clock in the morning. Stuff goes on, yep. right? I mean, you've seen people yeah. get pulled out of bars. You've seen people get into fights and down there, you know, it's, it's nonsense, but do we feel unsafe? No, not, not usually. Right. No. But when someone gets, say it's, you know, someone gets into a, a scuffle down there and it's usually in this com- community, a white person, like they're not facing the same the, the same throwdown that would happen if that person was 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 black. Like if you get in a scuffle with the police, you you might get thrown in jail. People buy them buy their way out. You know, it's it's it, it, the the consequences are not the same. The action can be the same, and the consequences are not. And or if I didn't know that firsthand, you know, that's it's just it's not okay. You know, but it is the the point is what we do with the pain in our life and how we let that shape our perspective and how we let that either grow into passion and hard work. And, you know, the way that we show up a little stronger and grittier and more resilient versus letting ourselves sink into that place where we feel sorry for ourselves. We get a victim mentality. We, you know, we're looking to point the finger at somebody else instead of saying like how do i take the ownership of my life and maybe this one bad decision that i made and go that decision's not going to define me i'm just going to get better i'm going to get stronger because we're all human everybody mm-hmm. makes mistakes um the reason why i'm a big fan of yours is because the story the four the four examples i just gave you of someone for people that don't have a past history that happened to them was I guess it was partially to prove a point, but I never really talk about that much. And I've talked about it a little bit when you were on my podcast the last time. And the reason why I haven't mentioned that to a lot of people because they, I don't think, I didn't think that the four examples of the stories that I just told you can move some people towards understanding or whatever. They're just like, oh, okay, so, you know, it is what it is. And now I guess the question is, as far as the common denominator we're attacking right now, examining the, the, the victims, the uh, past record. Um, do do stories like this, not just me, I'm not trying to make this about me, I swear to you I'm not, uh, all of you listening, but do stories like this, like the stories that I told, um, is it important to share some of these stories and, do, and does, and what degree do you think does it help reach out to some people? I, I mean, these are the stories, like if I, you know, if I could, there's so many untold stories in this world and the, 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 the stories of the common, the common man that don't get told that are what the fabric of this country are made up of. Right. Amen. I mean, and, and why I love like this industry of podcasting that has come up and 
the stories that you get on these podcasts, they're not the stories we're hearing in the news. You know, the stories I want to tell on my blog, the story of, I, I think part of seeing the humanity is like just walking down the street and, and, and looking someone in the eye and, and smiling at them or whether, and I, I mean, I try to read that these days with a mask on my face. I want to, I want to look in someone's eyes and feel like I know them. And that is something that, you know, we cannot lose in the face of social media and like just the noise out there. It's that human to human connection that's going to save us. Don't the eyes tell so much? Yeah. Oh my gosh. You know, I could tell someone smiling at me with a mask on. How cool is that? I, I agree. Oh, I've been, I, I'm looking for it these days, you know, because that is something like, you know, having, it, it takes me back to when I, I worry about the kids that are, you know, just the little kids that are, are, are have been living in this pandemic that haven't seen facial expressions. Like when my, my son was, was young, you know, the therapists were telling us like overemphasize your facial expressions because that's, what's going to help him start to read, read the room and, and understand what's going on. And, and we have, you have to like, you know, play into that and he's got to feel it. So if it's going to take a little more to feel it, you got to overemphasize those facial expressions. And yeah. So part of, you know, people that I know that are having babies right now, when that little baby is all they've seen is, is a masked up face for, it's going to change brain connections, you know, and I'm not saying that we don't have to worry about pandemic and people getting sick and people dying, but we also got to worry about mental health. And my life's been shaped, you know, in some, through an, an, an autism mom lens. And I, so the things that hit me, other people don't know. So you know, listen to where someone's coming from because there are th there are so many little points that are going into these huge arguments. Whether it's wear a mask or you know, how do we take care of ourselves better to you know build up our immune systems and and not get sick, um, even knowing that there are lots of people out there with you know health issues that are are putting them in a compromised position, but there's just so many things. There's always so many little points of understanding in every story. We have to slow down and listen to them. Yeah. Um, little sound bite. No, definitely. Before we, um, we, we go into that, I wanted to go back a little bit and just commend, um, like we live in this bubble, Hermosa beach, Manhattan beach. And like you, you were talking about an element of safety, like at no time, no matter what happens, someone gets drunk, you know, if, the, if, if, if they're a lover, they think they're Elvis. If they're a fighter, they think they're John Jones. <laughs> okay. <laughs> or Mike Tyson. Um, I do want to spend this time to commend the Hermosa beach police department. And I don't know the Manhattan beach or Redondo police. I don't know the departments or whatever. I, I can only speak to my own, but I, I want to con um, convey the, res the, the profound respect I have of the level of policing that they do um, and getting yeah. to know people by first names, being community servants, just out there in the mix and not looking like centuries, not looking. Not, I mean, you see a cop, you don't, you're not like, you're not looking like, wait, where did I, let me make sure I'm not, you know, I'm not driving <laughs> with a phone in my hand or whatever. I mean, when you see these cops, you don't think of that. You're like, okay, that's this guy. So um, yeah. I'm not saying that they're the products of their environment, but I think they maintain and help create and recreate this, this, this environment where protect and serve and how and good policing um should be demonstrated um everywhere 
I, I, I love, I, I, I mean, I was, I grew up wanting to be a cop and then I had a love hate relationship for four, four good reasons. I just told you my four mm -hmm. relatives, by the way, African-American for, for people that are worried about skin color. Yeah. A hell of a lot darker than me. Um, but I want to commend the police department in Hermosa beach. And I think they, the policing that they do should be the measuring stick on how the police department should compare themselves. So you want to talk about, oh, not all police are bad, there's some good police. Oh, hell yeah, I know that. And I start right here where I live. I'm, I, and I am, it is a privilege. I do enjoy this privilege of 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 being in this bubble, in the surroundings where, uh, where you know bad police can make, it could go another way. So I'm, you know, Everyone's like, yeah. oh, oh, they're just doing their job. And I said, no, it's not their job to care. <laughs> it's their job to police. <laughs> you know, there's there's a level of caring that comes with that. Now it's the point yeah. I'm trying to make. Well, but I wanted and, to go back to that before we moved on. To, go ahead. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I, I would agree with you. I don't, I, I su support our local police completely. Yeah. Are you Manhattan Beach uh, or Hermosa? Um, well, actually, I'm in Redondo now. I was in Hermosa for a long time. And okay. I and now I, I moved a little quieter side of town. <laughs> oh, man. But, Good for you. You know, but but you get back to that that issue of safety, right? I mean, and it's not it's not just the police feeling safe to do their job. It's when we get to you know we're very privileged to live where we live, um, and we don't deal with a lot of the things that people deal with. You know, I, I grew up in Fresno. I mean, it's a perfect example of a of a community of of you know have haves and have nots. And while you can't have guilt. And I've wrestled with this on a personal basis. You can't have guilt for, you know, where you were born, if you have been born into that position of privilege, or it's your job to take whatever you have and do the best with it that you can do, right? Leave places better than you found them, you know, find that way that you can use your gifts, talents, and, and help, you know, be of service. So if when, when we are of service, you know, our life becomes so much more joyful so much more connected with other people but you know i in my hometown you're you're on a grid you know it's northwest you're going to be fine you there are things that go on in southeast that are you know fresno has a has a notoriously high gang you know gang violence rate and and you know when you put the haves and have nots in in a place like you people have to have their their basic needs met to even talk about the things that we're talking about do you know i yeah. mean have to be able to live like a mammal <laughs> first yeah. i yeah. mean it, it goes to maslow's hierarchy of needs like if your safe human safety isn't met like you don't get to have these like self-actualizing discussions self-awareness is some it to me i look at it so many days like this journey that i'm on is it's a gift because I have a roof over my head because my, my kids are, you know, in good schools. And so you can't feel guilty about that, but what are you going to do with it? Like, how are you going to make those other situations better? And from a distance, from teaching through story, from, you know, just being a, a contributing member of society. Yes. But like, how do we get in and make other people feel safe enough? to even be able to think about, you know, what are their values? What are their values? What, what is their purpose in life? Because that's what we know. I've had very little in my life. I've had, you know, 
tons and tons. And material things don't matter if we can't an answer those fundamental human questions about why we're here, what is our purpose, um, you know. And all, if we're just worried about getting food on the table, then we're dealing with a different segment of society than what you and I get to walk around in in Hermosa Beach, right? Do you have um, do you have white guilt? Oh, I mean, that's definitely something I've been working on. And I realize um, that that I, I've had that privileged guilt my whole life. Absolutely. I mean, I remember being a kid, a seven year old kid watching the news and, and seeing what was going on in Israel and, and having the thought at seven or eight years old, I am so lucky to be born where I'm born. There are no bombs going off in my street. And I didn't know the first thing about why the bombs were going off. I remember being terrified. So yeah, there's always been that element of guilt of just being, feeling like I'm just incredibly lucky to have the life that I have. But I've, uh, that has evolved on this, you know, journey to self-awareness to say, what good is that going to do you? If you feel guilty, you're going to be more quiet. You're going to, that shame will make you silent. And when you know your intention in life, when you know, like, why you get up every day, you don't let the, those silence you anymore. Because no, I'm not, I don't feel guilty anymore. I know that what I have been given, I, I've been charged to do the best that I can do with that. And I get up every day and try to do that. And that comes with taking care of myself first. And then, you know, taking that to my dinner table with my kids and teaching them what I teach them. And then it, it you know, it, it rolls out from there. And yeah. that's the whole reason, you know, with for the Optimist Journal is to just give people a platform to tell their stories while I tell mine. And so we can build that better understanding and not feel guilty and not feel shame and know that, you know, every story carries immense worth and, and, and is there to help connect us. So, yeah. Um, do you think that people's personal con um, experiences like conquering their own demons and just um, experiencing conflict and maybe coming out of the other end and smelling like a rose or with a heightened level of success, if not prosperity or whatever level you consider that, albeit monetary gain or just emotionally stable? Or Do you think that the way certain people conquer their own demons makes them less empathetic? to the people who haven't. Can I give you an example? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Casey Jennings. The guy, you know, cut by the high school team, not very tall for volleyball, had literally had to chop down trees to make his name, to become where he is, to, to become the man he is. And because of the path and the, the, the conflict uh, that he had to, to do and conquer, I think... Um, might make him more resentful for people who haven't. Okay, Casey, Casey you're listening, um, and I know you feel me on this because um, I do think, like, I think in his mind, if he did it, why the hell can't you? You know what I'm saying? He said he, he might feel like he was in a worse situation and he came out of it, so why can't you? Uh, that's one example. Second example, I grew up in a very um, right-wing family, okay? And, and my right-wing family, and it's crazy because my mom's black and my father, who I never really met, is white, but my stepfather was a hardcore, uh, a blue-collar Republican. 
so there are certain principles that you that you grow up with um like oh this black guy doesn't have a job it's because he doesn't want to work oh there's unemployment because these guys are on the street they don't want to work you know so you grow up believing a certain thing right a certain way um i'm at church of oh, you're gay it's an abomination <laughs> same-sex marriage are you kidding what's wrong with these people you know what i'm saying you're just you you're born sick in the head you know a uh, suicide oh that's against god's law you give you you know you want to you you want to experience hell as a death then deja vu <laughs> go ahead and kill yourself so there were certain demons that took me the first 25 years of my life to conquer all right that's basically half my life i'm 50 now um where i'm like i did it you know, I, I get it. Why can't other people just, just my, I have little empathy, empathy for, for the stupid. I have some empathy for the ignorant, the ignorant being people don't understand. I was ignorant. I wasn't stupid. And for a while I was stupid because it's, stupidity is um, protected ignorance. <laughs> okay. So giving me, giving you these two examples, there's Casey Jennings and maybe his lack of empathy uh, of what's what's real in his head and what's real to someone else. My lack of empathy and the demons that I had to conquer that I really can't understand, you know, why other people can't just take the time and conquer those demons too. So do you think people get caught up in their, uh, their own personal journeys? Because you're all about the journey. You're really not, a, you're more about the journey than the destination pretty much more than anybody I've, I've ever met. Um, do you think... <laughs> people get caught up in their journeys that um, people get a, on the negative side. Do you think people getting caught up in their journeys makes them less empathetic? The, the floor is yours, sweetheart. Um, I do think that we can, we can head down a path that, um, you know, can build up these layers of toughness on us that if we're not, you know, if we've been through something tough, take Casey, for example, and I don't know a lot about Casey's story, no. but what you just told me, like when we get those late, I'm, I'm a fan. Go ahead. Oh, I am a fan too. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're actually friends because of Casey, yeah. right? I mean, he, he put our heads together. So that's, oh my God, that's right. He's probably, he's probably listening to that saying that right now, <laughs> please. Yeah. Ooh, sorry, we got momentum. Go ahead. For sure. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> I, I think these layers of toughness that can be put on us, Yes, I, I do think that we can, what we do is we become kind of a singular force in the world. If we see ourselves as that singular force that's going to, can charge through anything and has this one way to look at things because it's what got us through. Well, what got us through is not always what's going to get someone else through, right? And I think that we have that, that, that comparison is the thief of joy, right? So when we compare our story to somebody else's story, we can either belittle our story or we can also make our story sound like it's the toughest thing that any, you know, if, if, if I can make it through this, like you said, anybody can make it through anything. I love the underdog stories. I am such a fan of people that, you know, when, when you get cut, when you, when you get dumped, when you get like that, that thing that happens to you that you never thought you could survive. Those are the things that, those are the biggest catalysts for change and transformation in our lives. Unfortunately, when, when things are all going, going well, you know, we don't always find that gratitude for the simple things. And that in the end, that's what makes the human experience so great is with the, when we can find the gratitude for the little things in life. It's not the big trip and the, the huge night out. It's the, it's the sunrise. It's the, I jumped, I get to jump in the ocean today. That's the stuff that makes you 
that's what makes the day great, right? So I'm getting off course a little bit, but th- that that toughness when we start to realize, like not find the gratitude in the little things and also just believe that our way is the only way, it discounts people's, you know, they, call, they talk about trauma, like big T, little t trauma. Like what is traumatic to me? That might not be like a big deal to Casey because his, my, my life has been different than his, but, but my, my ability to understand where you are coming from, like that empathy, that is the greatest gift that society can have right now. We have to be able to put our own story aside. And I do think that, yes, I do think that we, you know, we can sink into our own stories a little I wouldn't say too much, but it, it can thicken our skin and make us believe that, you know, what I've been through has been so life-defining and tragic that, you know, something is, we can't, we can't empathize with someone else. I have seen, I have definitely seen that. I think it's a question of when something tough comes your way, are you the type of person that's going to link arms with the people around you? Or are you going to believe that you are so tough and so resilient that you can do anything on your own. And like, that's not the world I want to live in. I want to see people link up, link up and understand each other. And even when we're coming from different perspectives. But isn't it amazing that some of these people through their personal, personal experience, um, makes them less empathetic. Um, and really I'm talking, I'm not talking about Casey anymore. I'm talking about me, like, and the journey I took to, to become the only thing that helped me was I use the exact same journey and experiences um, as a reason or as a um, a said way to bring more people together, right? When you think about this, we just said we if Casey, we're talking about Casey, and so I've criticized. I've been one of his biggest critics and biggest praisers, but it's so weird that we're talking about him because without Casey, we don't know each other, right? We don't we we don't meet. That's so. I think us growing up with personal experiences, growing up with people, um, some, sometimes your political ideology differences um, are become different or you go different uh, paths of how you believe something should be done. But the important thing is to remember that we have friends that have crazy ideas and we love them to pieces. <laughs> right? Come on. There's, you can't, I mean, it's, I think... That's one of the things that separates us, which goes to my next my next um, common denominator. That's why I'm I'm steering the, the the wheel for a minute. The next common denominator was people feel like you can only be friends if you agree on everything, which um, I think is another obstacle that that gets in people's way. Like Casey and I, we talked twice before and after the um, we, me and Rob talked about Kerry Waltz on the Sports Debate Tuesday, we, and I my opinion of him hasn't changed my the level of respect i have for the man still remains profound because you look at a whole body of work right um and i still love the guy to pieces <laughs> so so i want your thoughts on just posing the question and if you have a solution that's fine too but i mean solutions are for people to find out as individuals but my question is how do we get people to understand that you don't have to agree with everything anyone says to love them, to, to, to respect them, to know them, 
on, on, yeah. a, po on a positive level, but on a, on a civil level, still behave like mammals. Do you understand, right. Do you understand I mean, my, my question? My, my least favorite thing to see these days, and, and I feel like I see it a lot, and maybe it's in people that are a little younger than me, um, but that, that post that says, if you are voting for, just defriend me, I can't be your friend. Like, we are so much more as human beings than one belief or one vote or like to to dumb it down and 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 make the our human existence so small is that's just again not a not a world i want to live in yeah. and you know you can go to the point like is it anybody's it's it's nobody's um business who i vote for there's a reason why you go in cash your vote and drop it in there and go out and get to be the person that you want to be in the world right i mean we're not defined by that vote now we our brains work differently like there's science out there that shows like we can be born like there's there's our you know is it nature or nurture we're born with like a more liberal or a more conservative brain like are we big risk takers or are we you know people that tend to follow the rules that stuff is genetic too right so we are so much deeper and more different than that one that one belief that someone wants to pin us down on and say like oh you must not be able to you're not a good person if you're a trump voter you're you know don't talk to me i mean same thing with obama yeah in 2012 when obama ran against 2000 uh, ran against mitt romney and when obama won I, yeah. I had friends that voted Republican who um, had upside down flags <laughs> uh, uh, on their thing, you know, signal in distress. But to me, I was just like, wow, speaking of respecting the flag, you know, um, so uh, it was um, as an, as someone who has no party preference. I was I'm in, been an independent most of my life. And I was like I'm a Democrat for a cup of coffee. I saw I saw it both ways. Sorry. Yeah, no, mm -hmm. abs absolutely. I mean, there's just so much more to, you know, the power of the story of you know, the first black president, or, um, you know, I sit here and go as a, you know, I've been a Republican most of my life, but you can't pin me down on, you know, fiscal issues versus uh, social issues. Like if you wanted to break that all down, like you're not going to be able to put me in a box and no. say, oh, she thinks this because no. one, those opinions, like you said, have evolved over time and they've evolved on my life experience, right? What I've come into contact with, what I now understand that I didn't, you know, as a as an 18 year old who just registered to vote. Yeah. I mean, and I, I love that. Mm -hmm. Right. I yeah. mean, our, our life experience is going to mold and shape us if we allow it to, unless if we lock down and say, this is the way it is. And, you know, there there is also some science out there that says, you know, we just become more in, in entrenched as we grow older. Like that is what I do not want to be. I want to learn every day, open my perspective, open my eyes to what is going on around me and not just say like, I'm a little bit more like what I was, you know, in the formative years of my life. And I'm just going to keep believing that stuff. I like, we have to open our eyes and let the things that are going on around us shape us every day without feeling threatened that it's going to somehow like contradict something that we believed before. It's, it doesn't make us less of a person. It doesn't make us weaker. It doesn't make us, you know, easily evil swayed. people. Yeah. Or, or yeah. like inherently evil people or, or bad yeah. people. Got it. Yep.
It's strange you should say that about like people not having a clue about your political beliefs, because for me, it's been the opposite. I have friends on the left who are pretty sure I'm, I'm, I'm Republican. Yeah. Because on maybe on one post, you know, I'm like, Kamala Harris isn't, that's an idiotic VP pick. Oh, there goes Jason again with his right wing views, you know? And yeah. then, you know, a week later, I'm like, okay, Trump is says he loves the military, but he's pimping out our soldiers of Saudi Arabia, right? Right now we have two battalions operating under the Saudi prince's command, a country who who has ties of, of financing Al-Qaeda who, who, who attacked the World Trade Center. And then, then all of a sudden, oh, yeah, yeah, you're, you say you're a centrist, but you're every, everything, everything you talk about is liberal, liberal this, liberal that. So I like, for you, people have no clue, but for me, they have the wrong clue, the polar opposite way. Yeah. And I'm like, God, does like Facebook send you a signal when I go the other way and and, and yes. like to, to combat That's that? That's social dilemma. I'm telling you, <laughs> they do. <laughs> But I mean, fascinating. It's, it's a good, yeah, I mean, and that's your perfect example of, of one, I, I was like, your, your debate is intelligent because it's based on your life experience. So you have this diverse background and it's, it's amazing to see what you pull into those arguments. That's yeah. why I, I don't engage on a lot of political, uh, Facebook speech because I don't want my newsfeed to look that way. Like no. since I started the Optimist Journal, like I get my news elsewhere, but I follow just a lot of positivity and wellness and, you know, growth mindset stuff. And my feed is, it's a beautiful place to be. It really is. But when I see you put up really thoughtful debate and I love it because you never know which side you're going to, not side, but you don't know where you're going to come down. Yeah. But it's well thought out and it's articulate versus just this shut down, you know, party line that yeah. is so just ugh, turn that stuff. Speaking off. of I privilege, I, I, I enjoy a centrist, a centrist privilege. If you look at the people who post, they're Democrat and Republican. Some of them are hardcore one way and the other. I, I post, like you said, the reason why it's, it's thoughtful and insightful is not because of me um, being enlightened of just seeing things for what they are, but Actually, the colors you're gonna get from from like anyone that insults anyone's intellig uh, character instead of the argument, I just threaten to delete their post. I, I need dialogue. Uh, you and yeah. Fallon Fanoia Moana had a, a different stance on the whole yeah. Kerry Walsh thing, which we can more than get into if you want. But I I, I almost think the wheels fell off on that. I know. But yeah, um, you have definitely digested yeah. that. Um, yeah, very and well. On your and the, yeah, and and the, and, 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 and the poop came out this smooth texture you know, <laughs> digest. Yeah. yeah, I, I agree. And I, mm -hmm. I mean, it was part, part of that was why I wrote the blog I wrote last week. I mm -hmm. mean, just that, that debate and knowing that, you know, Fallon has truly been one of my favorite, <laughs> favorite friends, like people that I found through volleyball and coaching and, um, you know, my, yeah. my heart is always with her children out I, there, children out there. You want someone you want to look up to? You want yeah. someone you want to look up to who's who's had to chop down some trees. Um, I give you Fallon for no Moana. You don't look up to me. I'm a fucking moron, guys. You know, I'm I'm 
I, I have some things, my military service, my honorable service, um, um, going back to school and being able to graduate, you know, magna cum laude, you know, as a, as a returning adult student. Um, the competitor in me, the, the program's ranked number two in the country, you know, my volleyball career, my indoor career, you know, played in Germany. We won this uh, and that, no, no more of this validation stuff. But there are certain things I do in my life and the way and what I do is inspiring but some of the things i say are not always i'm not i am not i am not a freaking role model i cannot be your superman i don't don't think you should uh one i don't think you should discount yourself like that but Mm -hmm. um i i why i like you and what i'm realizing so much about in society these days is that so often people think that they have to have everything and as a writer i can even be guilty of this like you want to wrap everything up with a bow on it and deliver it perfectly to your audience but if you are a thoughtful person i don't think shooting from the hip is always bad you know i mean if you're not intending to to hurt somebody with your words which i mean i i know i never open my mouth intending to hurt somebody with my words that is not true something that i struggle with i i and I don't think you do either. I think you're just an honest, you know, and being honest about what you think and not having to go, oh, should I say it or should I not? Yeah. And, uh, like that, I think, is is harming society, too. Like we are afraid to speak up and you are not afraid to speak up. So even if it comes out imperfectly, that's not something that you should. People should not be judged on that it didn't come out perfect. Yeah. Like, know your intention, you know, I think where we're talking about the, our next common denominator we're attacking um, about people having to agree on everything we say is, is connected. And I'm glad because now, now we're at your genius allowed us to, to, to bring that back and explore that. Um, and I think the question is the next question that's connected. And I think if we can answer this question, then we can, we can tackle the common denominator. You listening at home as individuals, not collectively, because collectively we can talk about other people ad nauseum. Are you too defensive? For the people listening to this, people watching the video right now, look at me. Are you too defensive? Are you too defensive? I, for a long time, have been. In some cases, I still am speaking only for myself, and and I'm going to ask you the same question. I'll give you an example on a small scale. A person um, has like a problem with the music I'm listening to, right? Um... And maybe the, the the lyrics are explicit, and maybe the kids around or whatever. But and once I see them, I realize that I turn that off. But in my mind, the defensiveness in me is like, wait a second, the music you're playing right now, you because it's the same reason I don't see it as defensive because I'm just enjoying music is the same reason you're you're blind to what you're doing. Like Cardi B is is she's not. For, I'm just gonna say she ain't gonna be, she ain't gonna be everybody's cup of tea, but. How is she more or less offensive than an 80s song, Angel in a Centerfold? That you're blasting out for everybody to hear. It's music. It's 80s music. It's harmless, you know? No, Angel in a Centerfold is about a guy who got dumped by a girl who is now doing porn. Okay? She's doing porn. And, and we're laughing, Wendy, because we're almost the same age limit. And we, we yeah. have, never, have never thought about that. We no. have never thought about Angel in a Centerfold as that. Hungry Like a Wolf, Duran Duran. What the hell kind of pedo shit is that, dude? You know? <laughs> um, it's So I think me being defensive automatically, like, oh my God, why, why don't you take a look at yourself before you start judging me? Um, 
in the past has made me be like, no, my music stays on. Screw you. And But now that's changed. I'm like, no, wait. My freedoms and my self-expression should not impede onto the will and, and, and the freedom and um, the sanity of life of other people. Boom. That's off. That's it. Yeah. Case closed. Well, you know, I mean, are you, um, do you find yourself being defensive about uh, certain criticisms? I mean, it depends. I guess if you're talking about criticisms on what you believe like on a public policy or a current event debate. Um, I don't really feel defensive. If I feel that I've hurt somebody's feelings, like on the, the, my first feeling is, oh shoot, like I shouldn't have said that. But when I go back, I always, I, I, I think back into like checking my intention and saying, okay, if you said this, you know, out of a place, like you weren't intending to hurt somebody, <clears throat> then I do believe like that's something that I've worked on and wanting to enter into this public policy debate, you know, you have to develop a little bit thicker skin because you're not going to make everybody happy. And if you're that person that wants to make everybody happy and you just want this message that like, that's not a message. You know what I mean? Like embrace optimism. That can be my message, but are you going to, if, if you enter into the debate on any topic, you are going to upset somebody. So you better know what you believe. You better have the skin thick enough to take what's going to come back at you. And you need to have the humility to listen. But humility isn't that is it's not that that false humility that just kind of shuts you down and says, oh, you know better than I do. I know that I have a right to my opinion. And I know my intention is not to hurt anyone. I'm just coming from my perspective. So, but I am curious to know, like, how did your perspective, like on that, the music that you just talked about, that, that example, like, did that change? Would you say that changed with becoming a father? Like, does that? No. No. Very good question, because the question is force fed down your throat. Do you want your kids listening to that? Or do you want your kids doing that? So, so when people constantly pound that question to you, then you, I start asking the question you just asked. I'm a father, this and that, and I'm like, do all my kids listen to Cardi B? No, and I'm using Car I'm not using Cardi B as a prime example because I can't even name a song by her. I'm all I'm saying is that the genre music that I like could very well be her. Like I thought I hated Kanye West until I I heard four different songs and all four of those songs were Kanye West, and I'm like, no, I don't. I like Kanye West. So, <laughs> um, to answer your question, no, it doesn't because I I answer how I want my to shape my kids' um, individual, um, how I want to shape my kids' individual critical thinking. There are certain things she ain't going to do, okay? Um, she ain't going to curse. I am. I'm the father. You're the, son, you're the daughter. That's it, okay? Um, I don't want my daughter to drink alcohol, okay? <laughs> She's not the legal drinking age. I'm going to drink alcohol. I don't want my daughter to serve in the military because even though it shapes who you are and instills this discipline, and I, and I think there's a part of me that thinks everyone should serve at least two years. I don't think I want my daughter going and going joining the military. I don't think I want her being, you know, have to go through boot camp and and be restructured until like a harder version and what what I really want her to be, you know. Um, mm -hmm. I don't want maybe I don't want my my daughter cock lock and ready to rock, you know. Um, mm -hmm. I don't definitely don't want my daughter to study theater. <laughs> okay, the a BFA in acting is the most useless degree you're gonna have. Okay, so if you start saying, I don't want to do any of these things because you don't want your kids to do it. 
it's a slippery slope. It's a slippery slope. Yeah. You know, I, I, I wouldn't want my kids to like vote for a certain person, but at some point she's got to think for herself and she's going to vote for that person. And, and like you said, just like in old friends that we grew up with that, that we have crazy ideas and disagree and still love them to pieces. That's how I got to be a father. Does that answer, does that make any sense at all? Yeah, no, it, it, it yeah. does. It, it does. And I always, I, you know, it's been my experience. I've, I've been through some of those things that you, you, yeah. you've said, you know, that, you know, I, I don't want my kids drinking. I have teenagers, right? I've been through yeah. lots of these places that you haven't been yet. And you say, you know, the example that you set to me, it, it very much matters, but also knowing that, you know, there are some rules that are, that are black and white. And, and you can say, I, I'm the adult, you're, you're the child, but I do have. Yeah, how come a, you get to stay up late, dad? <laughs> yeah. It's a been there, done that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I do think that, you know, the way that we show up so much of my, my motivation every day is to set the example and to say to my kids, like, you know, where you're going to find me, you know, what to expect from me. And even if that looks different than, you know, the way someone else does something, I think kids just need to know that they have someone that they can feel safe with and that they know what to expect. Yeah. And it doesn't matter, you know, the kids live now, like the, the lyrics now are so much more explicit than when we were growing they're up. Just, now, they're just they, out there more. Yeah, it, it's like, and do they become desensitized to it? Like I remember when Two Life Crew came out, I was in high school and I was like, what in the world just went through the parking lot? I'm like, how can they say that on, you know, live. Okay, that was or the Beastie Boys. Like that stuff From was pop, my pop that that P to 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 F Mart Mayor Martinez F Martinez. And now you think about what kids hear. You know, I'm looking like I I'll, when I put on music for a group of kids that are you know doing a volleyball workout. I'm looking like how can I find a, a playlist that's not explicit? Just because I don't want to be the person that's that's throwing that out there right to a group of kids yeah and kids also have to understand as you shape them if you want to be a real real role model for these people listening you they have to understand that people are different if you you have this rigid example and you want your kid to be exactly like you don't curse don't do this you know what's going to happen it's going to make them less tolerant of people around them that are, di that are different yeah. than than you than what you're than what you're pur purporting yourself to be because you're, you're probably not being real because you have to be a yeah. different person to make your kid whatever so now you have to change who you are i, I have um, a, i have a 20 year old um who has been known to you know curse a little bit on, whether it's on the volleyball court or coming through a, a, a uh, mm -hmm a tough day or, or whatever, because I want her to be able to express herself mm -hmm. to her mom. I don't shut her down. When my 13 year old hears it, he goes, wait, why does she get to say that? You know, cause I want my kids to learn that life is not black and white. Yeah. So when you say they become intolerant, you know, like just because you said, you know, a couple of curse words, it doesn't make you a bad person. Now, do I, do I want you to understand that you can't go into a job interview, that that is not the representation of your best self? Right. It's not, yeah. you know, it's a weaker moment. But sometimes, I mean, you know, it, we got to get it out. And I always say better out than in. I don't want that stuff being stuffed down. If you're frustrated, let it out. And I want to be the one that you're going to let it out to. So Do it's you, like as you evolve through that process with kids, like it, 
it changes you too because you don't see things as black and white anymore you want i want them to see the same thing i'm saying about society i want to train that right into the kids that go out my door yeah you know i'm going to say it is the best way i know how um yeah. if saying effed up i don't believe i'm cleaning this up right now but if saying effed up is a better way to describe something than messed up say effed up now the reason why you don't want your kid to say effed up because in, in their childhood, there's not going to be a situation <laughs> where effed up best describes, better describes the situation than messed up, okay? Effed up usually applies to adult situations. Someone gets shot in the back, that's effed up, <laughs> okay? That's not messed up. You know, you not getting seconds on dessert, that's not effed up. That's messed up. That's yeah. what I want to teach my kids. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what I don't want people to do is Stop making up things that the media is teaching them. Stop having received opinions on this music. Oh, like Ice, the, the interview with Ice Cube, and this is, uh, again, all connected to, to shape thinking and thinking alike. I saw this awesome interview. You disrespect women by calling them hoes. He says, he says do you think that's okay? And he's like, I don't call women hoes. <laughs> and he says, I call hoes, I call hoes hoes. <laughs> The people are women that don't know that that know they're not hoes. They know I'm not talking about them. Yeah, you have to accept the reality that you let a lady be a lady and let a hoe be a hoe. What if the person you called a hoe is acting like a hoe? <laughs> right? What if the person you called an asshole is acting like an asshole? So, so he dismissed that, and she's like, "But don't you think it's a misogyny thing to degrade women in this and that?" He's like, "It's not a misogyny thing." He said, "You know what a misogyny thing? Misogyny is not a, a gangster rapper problem. Misogyny is a white male, a traditional white male problem." He says, "You never saw a rapper that told a woman she can't wear pants to church. You never saw a rapper that said you can't be a minister. You never saw a rapper that's paying that thinks it's okay to pay a woman seventy cents on the dollar doing the same work." <laughs> and he says, "He says I'm not using the white male as a red herring, but I I will say before you start talking about rap as a as a misogyny problem, it's gangster rap at the time of the '90s was still very new, not rap, mm -hmm. but gangster rap was." You know, or gangster rap as a national explosion was new. It's always been yeah. new. Um, so he says, I'm not offering that as a red herring, but for you to say that that we we're we're the biggest, you know, opposition or the biggest contributors to misogyny is being disingenuous. Yeah, and I, 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 I would I would agree with that. And I also say like you always have to look back at the culture of where something is born, right? I mean, music is one of our greatest forms of communication. Like Music is one of our greatest forms of healing. Like I, I listen to music every day and I listen to all different kinds of music and I have a piano in my house that, you know, like I know music is so powerful. It's one of my, the things that I, 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 I wrap that into my blog too, because the lyrics and music are so powerful that they can, they can change people, you know? And, and I think if you listen to you know, you can, the, the rap that you're talking about, you're going to hear stories of, of pain. I mean, whether you're listening to Eminem or Ice Cube, like you, it's not necessarily a, a, a racial thing, but it is born of the culture and the story that, that, that those people were experiencing at the time. Right? Yeah. And, and, and they should be unapologetic on how they say it. Right. Right. 
I'll give you a line from Ice Cube. I thought back when I was robbing my own con, the police didn't pay it no mind. But when I start robbing the white folks, now I'm in the pen with the soap and the rope. <laughs> I said it before and I still call it. Any motherfucker with a color is most wanted. So that's his way of getting a point across. Could he have said it a better way? Sure. <laughs> God, I just interrupted you. Well, I mean, I couldn't write that lyric. You know, there's part of me that's like, dang, I, I love to write. I'd love to write a song someday. I listen. I the, the, any kind any of the the artists that I really like, if I look at it, they're the song they're the ones that write the songs too. Yeah. Wow. You know? I mean, if you trace back, you can find the artists who writes their own music, or you find that those artists also write music for other people, you will know, like, you know where the true talent lies. That is, it's an incredible talent. And yeah. so I will always find the, that, the awe of being able to be that, that artistic creative person and tell your story. If you could do it in a song, like my hat's off to you. Well, compass Composition to me is the common denominator of music, okay? Music is so powerful, Wendy, that there are songs out there that don't have words. Yeah. And you feel about it a certain way. All no, right? I mean, and you can feel it. And with it can be in another language. It can be a, like a, an instrumental, like piano. Moonlight Sonata. Yeah, it's incredible. It's the most hauntingly beautiful thing I've ever heard. Yeah. You know, I, I took three years piano and I still can't play it because I'm still too emotional. I'm, I'm still too emotionally attached to it. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a snowflake. I'm a I piano was, snowflake when it comes to playing Moonlight Sonata. <laughs> yeah, my son plays. I mean, he's an 18 year old. He plays and he's gone right now. I sat down and was trying to play some piano last night. I haven't played in 20 years, but it's because yeah. I want to hear that sound in my house. Is he, is he uh, Stanford? He Yes. That's the Stanford um, one. We got a. He's yeah. not at Stanford. They didn't take him on campus. There's no freshman on campus. So he, a family, it's, it's, I mean, and we have to put a plug in for save, save Stanford men's volleyball. Thank you. Please. Um, yes, my 18 year old's lifelong dream to play volleyball at Stanford. He got there. Um, and uh, not only did he lose the senior season to, you know, coronavirus, um, graduation and I kept thinking okay you know this is a tough tough little stretch in life but we're gonna get to Stanford and you know life's gonna get better again and all of a sudden they dropped their men's volleyball program so this is supposed to be the last season which who knows if they'll even be a normal season this year and that lifelong dream has been you know right now cut short there is a massive push to reinstate the program. So if you go, on the, I know they have an Instagram call, it's Save Stanford MV, uh, Save Stanford MVB Men's Volleyball. Um, it has their website on there, which I think their website is the same, but they're raising money. There's a petition you can sign. Um, if you're volleyball fans listening to political talk today, get on there. I mean, that, that program has national championships under the belt, tons of Olympians that have come out of there. And you know- Great, great head and, coach. You do not want to cut short the dreams of these young men and this great sport that is nonviolent, that is not causing massive concussions and head injuries. Easily affordable. Easily affordable. Um, and these kids have worked so hard and they're gonna be great leaders in the world and they deserve to be in this program and learn through this program and keep playing the sport that they've loved. And then they will go out and be great leaders in the world like so many other men's volleyball players have done. So. Do not cut this program. Lambert, I, my, my Clay, heart's with Clay Stanley, Mike Lambert. Yes. Um, it's a, and the, the alumni have been awesome. They've been, you know, really 
Oh, it's, it's USC worthy. <laughs> their alumni, yeah. their alumni yeah. is USC worthy. Like there's For Harvard, there's oh. Stanford and sorry. Yeah. So, and they're, you know, these are diverse young men who have worked so hard. Like they have worked hard at everything. I mean, like I was saying, Luke plays the piano. He got good grades. He, you know, he's a great kid, but they all are. You know, and and for them to lose this program right now in the midst of this pandemic, they these, these kids have lost so much, and this has been their lifelong dream. They don't know what it's like to be our age and have the greater perspective. This is it. Like, this is what is fundamental to them. That does not letting yeah. it get cut is just it's heartbreaking. Before I talk about the volleyball thing, Wendy Jones, people, power mom. Okay, got a son at Stanford, got a daughter playing beach volleyball at TCU for Hector. I mean, this this is how you you want to talk about role models, how to raise your kids. <laughs> this woman, all of the, they're all they're all um, power volleyball players. She's a power. She was she is a power mom. Period. Stanford, use citing um. Finances as a pretext is unacceptable in a school whose endowment whose whose endowment is. I, I, I'm I'm gonna shut up about Harvard because it's not not even Harvard Harvard and them are not even close. Harvard they take care of their own. USC I only realize they take care of their own because you live in a certain zip code where the alumni take care of their own. But it, any school that has a women's team that that should and that has a men's team should never get rid of their men's team. You already have the facilities right you already have the net all you gotta do is raise the damn thing you don't have to travel because where you are the conference you in the mpsf schools like ohio state or the miva or penn state or um or princeton my boy sam schweitzky plugging him in for princeton yeah. they're willing to come to you okay the, the 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 amount of money it takes for you to play host is nothing you don't you're not losing money off scholarships men's volleyball only offers 4.5 scholarships only offers 4.5 scholarships. And if you have a man, a roster with 18 people, I don't even know how they're slicing up that cake, but you start believing those other parents less when you, oh, my son got a full scholarship. And I'm like, no, he didn't. You're lying. Stop lying. Just say academic too. Stop, stop, stop trying to act like I don't know anything about volleyball. You're a liar, 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 <laughs> parent, parent liar. So, so um, yeah, save Stanford volleyball. You're fresh yeah. out of excuses. Keep the sport, a sport that has, um, like you said, um, historical success. Yes, no, absolutely. And, 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 you know, for the growth of the game, I mean, we're seeing we sports are what we see the fabric of sports connecting our society right now when, when, when things went away, but we cannot be just a football basketball dominated, you know, you can't just look at the economics when we know Jason, what sports has done in our lives. I mean, I'm not ever going to have a medal to show for it. I don't have any big fancy titles, but I, sports has been such a fundamental part and I am still playing, you know, what all of my relationships, what I do every day, the joy it brings me, but these kids get, yeah. their, their leadership is forged. Like this is where they have chosen to put in their chips. This is where they're being turned into leaders. Like they don't get to just pivot and go, you know, join another team. Like they have spent hours and hours and hours and to cut it short when you are making a billion dollars a year in interest on your endowment, which I know they're saying is earmarked for other things and it can't be used for athletics and but you know, come all of these on things. in the end. Come in on. In the end, it's a lot of money. You know, I mean <laughs> it's a lot of money. Some incomprehensible amount of money. So, you know, my heart's not and, and yeah. when you go to the lifelong dream of what it takes to get to a Stanford, yeah. this is not like these kids have given up a lot to, you know, to get to this point. 
They weren't out screwing around. They were there. It takes extra dedication to get to the, that spot, you know, and to have it ripped out from under you at, mm -hmm. at this juncture. I mean, 2020, like. And, and an elite school. And uh, elite, yeah. and, uh, there's no excuse. No. I mean, are we volleyball biased? You damn right we are. Yeah. Wendy, tell everybody what you're doing before you came on the podcast. What were you doing? Say it with me. Oh, I was at the beach at 645 this morning playing volleyball. <laughs> That's right. So you yeah. you darn right we're playing volleyballs. Um, Did you... Wow, we, we definitely tackled the whole... Agree, agree on we everything. No, but the agree on everything thing. You can we, edit. We, you can do whatever you got to do. No, we but always, we, we did our part as far as like opposing the question. Yeah. Are you, are you not, do you, are you willing to not be someone's friend because of one thing or whatever, when all the things that you do agree on to make the world a better place or to, or, or to maintain your beautiful friendship that you had your whole life. Um, if listen, there are going to be some cases where it's not worth it. Yeah. And you got to leave them, you know? For sure. Um, I will say this, take a break. No one to take a break from politics. You said something okay. in your journal that you almost, you pretty you became sick from it. Yeah. You, yeah. I, um, became sick from 2012. Um, yeah. like physically sick, felt weaker, didn't want to play volleyball. The, the life got sucked out of me. Just at that time I was leaning so hard left, um, that even and but art my arguments i had with people on the right and other people on the left the arguments were so elongated that even kelly my girl my wife who leans left mm -hmm. unfriended me <laughs> my, oh my own wife unfriended me okay that's that's how bad it got she didn't even want she just thought she's like i'm getting out of this conversation and if you know what's best for your health just stop stop indulging in these people she would call them but there was a reason i did it and it came from a case place place of caring and i'll never stop doing it but w what i have learned to do is when when to know when to take a break for my own sanity and how do you feel about what i said how and how it applies to you because i understand oh, like i said you you yeah. went through a similar journey absolutely i mean like i said i was raised in a political family um my dad held office for most of my life um it, it just comes with the territory you just have these discussions but we weren't raised with a 24-hour news ticker. You know, 9-11, the one thing I will say that, like, that was the day the 24-hour news ticker was born, and it never went away, right? Yeah. So that changed us fundamentally. I yeah. mean, on that day, there was so much news. Do we need one today? Do we need to be inundated with every single point of news that is just, like, no. no. You know, we... No. There needs to be time to just sit. That's where the mindfulness Inter comes. Interrupt a broadcast if something can't wait. Yeah. And those were things, and they made you turn and notice. And you remember the speech that was made after that great thing or, or, or that tragic thing. Like, we, we're going to, on one hand, it can make you numb, you know, or it can absolutely enrage you and make you not be able to just relax and calm yourself and have that intelligent long debate that doesn't have to be right. So it, yeah, it, I mean, you do have to learn to take a break. And it's the same thing with even pandemic news or, you know, racial tensions. Like you cannot, the more you take in on, on TV, it, 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 it just overruns your nervous system. You know, it's not, it's not a good thing. Yeah. Um, did you listen to Fallon at all last week? Last week, uh, I did last week. How about two days ago? Sorry. Yeah, yeah, it was just a couple of days ago. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. So that's a fun episode. Fallon made that an, is, an emphasis Yeah, I loved, I loved um, who, your volleyball who, talk and um, obviously the, the public policy talk as well, but just like learning, you know, talking about her energy on the court and what she's learned from, um, you know, how she shows up and how she, you know, makes the person that she's playing with better. Like I always, you know, I see the, the metaphors in life for, you know, what we do on the court as and how it, you know, what we take from She the deserves court. the rub too, man. Yeah. Okay, yeah, she, so. like, if you think about a girl who went to Miracosta High School, that prestigious program, went to USC, another prestigious program, just uh, played indoor overseas, you know, doing this for a living, not waiting tables at night, evolves, you know, makes the evolution to the beach and is out there, you know, full of fire and this and that. And I'm like, imagine she's, I don't, make, I don't want to make it about race, but imagine that girl was white. <laughs> My God, she'd be on like the front cover of every every, every freaking volleyball magazine and local news you could possibly think of. So, yeah. uh, I, and oh, Jason's race baiting again, but I just want people to use their imagination. I'm not actually starting Esh. I just want you to imagine, you, you know. Well, I, no, there's so much truth to that because you know what? I still get asked. I mean, I look, I'm getting older, but I look like your typical volleyball player, right? So I could walk up and down the street and people will go, oh, do you play volleyball? Like knowing the answer, right? I mean, to always have that be, you know, I mean, you can you can take that into so many different areas of, of, of discussion that we're having, whether it's race or it's body positivity, or it's, you know, um, you know, the gender discussion. But when you're judged just by what you look like, you know, it doesn't leave you feeling, you don't always, it's hard to build confidence. And Fallon's amazing because that confidence that she has is, I mean, it's intoxicating, right? I mean, you are going to, you watch her and you feel stronger. Good right? year for her last year, huh? Yeah. I mean, so you judging a book by its cover is about one of the worst things you can do because you, people are made up of everything that runs so deep into them to just to take a look and say like, you know, people will, I've had that done to me. I've got these two kids that are, you know, college division one athletes and they, they think I'm a tiger mom. And I will sit here and tell them those two did what they were going to do. I just drove them, you know, maybe we had some good discussion in the car occasionally, but like I have two more that they're going to do their own thing. It has very little to do with me. They are who they are, right? But it's not because of what they look like. If you look at, I mean, my youngest is probably going to be six, seven and probably never play a day of college sports in his life, right? I mean, you cannot just judge a book by its cover. You have to look at the person on the inside. And that's the that's the thing. I, you know, I learned that about Fallon because she coached my daughter's 12s team. That's how I met her. I didn't know the Fallon story. Right. I'm not a South Bay native. I, Me neither, I yeah. just watched her coach 12 year old girls and go, wow, she gets them. She gets down on their level and she gives them confidence. That's the thing. That's the best thing that any kid's ever going to get from sports, you know, mm -hmm. and then where they go from there, whether it's scholarships and gold medals, or it's just lifelong. I have friends that I've made and I feel like every, you know, conversation I have on the beach or in a locker room is so connected and good. Like, we're going to get what we get, but those coaches that put that confidence and in help instill confidence in kids, like there is nothing that I like to see yeah. more. And so that's my foundation. With and that. she, she's very explicit that she's only there to inspire the young. She's yeah. already conceded in her and mind, she does it. but she's it already conceded time. in her mind, like old people, they're already set yeah. in their ways and this and that. And all of these arguments that you see on these social networks are not young people. They're old. They are, they are the people older than her that are sitting there, have a way of thinking. Um, that 
in this world of labeling and um, the whole validation game people play is omnipresent in California, you know? Yeah. Um, when you look real deep in a place like this, all like, I mean, like all that glitter is not gold, you know, yeah. which is the reason why I'm so glad we're doing this episode. If you remember um, a week ago, I hit a, I hit kind of a low. I got caught up um, becoming what I despise. Like I hate the validation game and I hate um, having to come back at people and judge them for who they are for judging me who I am. That's not because that's not the way I've ever wanted to operate. I just want to let my light shine. And if you're there, you're there. And if you're not, you're not. And if you want to have a conversation, have a conversation. But the, but I'm very, very big on respect. You know, it's very easy for me, like if a juniors player looks at me like, you know, like I like I say, hey, good playing out there or whatever. And she kind of like smirks at me or whatever. Then it's very natural for me to say, are you sure you want to act like that? What you, you wet, look at you, wet behind the ears, breath smell like Similac. You haven't even done shit, and I get you know you you get a compliment when I act like that. It's very easy to take an old school guy that's cranky. Oh, I I would never do this, and I'm like, well, nobody cares. You, you're old. You let yourself go. Okay, you're fat now. Okay, stop acting like you're someone <laughs> that you whatever. Right? It's very easy for me, like if a player in the bottom of the main draw you know, uh, smirks at me because he does this one thing better than most. He automatically thinks he's like a better human being or he could sing better or do all these things. It's very easy for me to be like, dude, you, you think you're, you're acting like a rock star, but you live in your mother's garage. You know what I'm saying? What do you, you're not, if you want to, you want to act, you, if you want to be a rock star, be a rock star, move out your fucking parents' house. Oh, and pay for your own phone. So, so it's very easy for me to break out the haterade. So I'm, I'm at this thing where I, they trying to look at me who I am and don't, and don't know what I've done. And I'm going to skip that part because, again, I become what I, what I despise. So I'm at this point where I'm just like, who, who are they to compare themselves to me and what I've done? I'm, at, I'm also at this point where I got people telling me, you're, you're making this big race argument on social network, but it's, there's so many bigger things to worry about. And, and you're, you're really trying to hammer through that it's not a big issue to the people that are not affected. Right. So there's that. And recently, I've, I've gotten my integrity question, like my, my behavior and how I carry things and how the decisions I make, uh, some of the decisions I make um, may not be befitting of reputations by association, which I won't get into. And I was just at this emotional low. I'm in my command center now, but I could not think. I could not read. I could not uh, watch sports. I just got the freak out of the house. And I went to Starbucks and sat outside because Starbucks is where we can just think. And and I'm just I just got my hat on my helmet. And I'm just like, how do I, you know, I'm living in the, in the South Bay. Why am I why why am I feeling like this? What's what's wrong with me? And timing was everything. Who comes along? Who comes along? It's Wendy freaking Jones. And when I saw you, I said. Wendy Jones! Oh my God, Wendy Jones! And you're like, <laughs> are you feeling it now or something? Are you, you know, are we are we feeling the same thing? And and for the people listening at home, the reason why I'm even indulging in this is because the reason this episode happened is because I think, but I think I speak a little bit for you. We were kind of feeling the same thing, and yeah. I was really, really hopeful that we, you and I, could just go on air and discuss ways that we're dealing with some of these things and how it makes us feel individually and anyone that can relate to us that's feeling the same way feel free to post feel free to, to uh, comment on the optimist journal feel free to um express your differences because honestly differences make us uh bring us together they really don't separate us i swear to you so no um, and and you know what passion is nothing if it's not meant 
with compassion from other people. So whatever our passion is, like we need, it's our responsibility to bring that to the forefront. And then hopefully there are people who will listen that will develop that compassion for our perspective, right? Whether they agree with us or not. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the place that both you and I were coming from. Um, you know, I think it's okay to acknowledge you're not feeling great that day. And I'm like, you know, I'm always happy to see you and we always have the best conversations. So I, I really thank you for indulging me. And you know, that, that human connection is everything to me. So, and you're, you're really good at putting it together. So thank you. Yeah. And that's how you affect me. You keep me from becoming what I despise. It's, oh, um, thank it's you. Uh, it really, every this, this whole story, that whole diatribe I just told you was really just avoiding becoming what I despise. I don't want to yeah. be that person. I don't want to walk around like I'm better than someone because I could do one or two things, one or two things in my whole life, you know? I don't want to be the guy be like, hey, I got, you know, F you, I got my own shoes and my own clothes, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I'm not, I don't, it's no. not, it's not a, it's not inspiring. It's not optimistic. It's not, um, and no well, one, and, and nobody wants like, to hear it. Who the hell wants to be that guy? Who wants to be that guy? I don't want to be known as that guy. I'm, and and that's no. my fear right now. I don't want to be known as that guy. But but how do I do it, Wendy, without being self-honest about my sentiment? Not necessarily telling people about themselves, but but what's separating what's what's factual and what's true? Because I think you do it with a good sense of self-awareness. And I think that's the key. I mean, you're, the, the key to me is the fact that, you, like you said, you're 50 years old and you said, I don't want to become that. So you're always becoming, right? Like when we're always working on what we are becoming, no matter how old we are, we get to take that perspective that we have under our belt and keep becoming better versions of ourselves. And in the end, that's all that's all the world can ask of us. And that's all we can expect of ourselves. But when we give that, that fight and we succumb to, you know, the victim bill of what we've been through or we, you know, succumb to that addiction or the thing that has brought us down, you know that's that's when life gets really sad like we can be affected by things but you're always looking up you know what i mean and and that you wouldn't have this podcast and be putting the energy that you're putting in if you didn't so it's just that that art of becoming you know and you're doing it so that's why i like talking to you yeah awesome yeah i am um, i do accept that I'm not this being this way because I'm on camera. I'm on camera because I'm this way. <laughs> you yeah. know, like you said, the, the how, like you said, I, I shape my personality makes this all possible. But it, um, something I didn't realize going into 30 episodes, we're in episode 56 right now. Uh, I think Fallon was 55. Yeah. Um, yeah. That the guest helped me really, really helped me along the, I mean, it's, it's not it's really nothing without the guest you know some people say i talk too much jason's like you need to shut up and let people talk and i've learned how to do that since our last podcast when everybody's like shut up and let the girl talk you know <laughs> but then i also people have to realize that it's not an interview it's an if it's an interview i wouldn't say anything and it wouldn't last no, this long. The it's a, a podcast is a conversation so yeah the conversation know. is the best yeah like and I, I applaud you for it i i really i I like listening to them. I like listening to the guests you have on. Your questions are intelligent, mm -hmm. sports or current events. It's all yeah. good stuff. So Cool. Well, definitely listen to Fallon for Number One and everybody listening. Um, share this with as many people as you can because this this episode, just like the last episode and the one before that, I think the last three or four had legs um, in a different way. 
where I'm finally, yeah. where my mission statement is to provoke thought and to give people a voice and constantly repose and repose the question. If that's my mission, if, if that's who I suppose, I'm supposed to be, let the, this episode and the last three episodes be a reflection, if not a straw person argument <laughs> for what I want the option podcast to be. Before we go, I want you to plug in um, your website and I want you to plug in the Optimist Journal for, for the newbies. Yes. So um, my website is uh, theoptimistjournal.com and um, you can find me there. I do um, optimism and resilience coaching, you know, form their perspective, um, you know, find the power in their story, build confidence in their voice, all of those things. Um, And I have a book called 365 Days of Optimism. It's just a day by day, page by page, um, just training to uh, get your mindset going in the optimist's uh, direction. And you can find that on my website. My Instagram is at optimistsjourn. It's J O U R N. Mm-hmm. And um, you can find me there. I'm posting quotes and just telling you more about my life. So, um, love being a mom to four kids, love volleyball, love current events. So, really, just everything you're talking about, Jason, is it's good stuff. So, thanks for having me. No doubt. Hey, okay, listen, Wendy Jones might love you, but for me, I've had it with all of you, all right? For all of you at home, for all of you on your iPad at Starbucks, for all of you on your iPhone at the lunch line listening to this, for all of you on your desktop, who runs the world? Old school, old school. For Wendy Jones, this is episode 56 of the Option Podcast, and I am Jason DeBiss, and we both say... Have a good one. We're out. Come check out the Option Podcast on OptionDB.com. It's also available on iTunes and Spotify and on YouTube under the NY Varsity Sports Handle. You're going to love what you hear.